Today on The Watchman's Soul, we are going to have a message about false prophets. Are there ways that we can discern false prophets? Are there ways that we can discern false prophecies? How are we as average churchgoers to approach those who stand and proclaim a message to us in the name of God? How are we to approach those who are in our pulpits and other pulpits on national or um, respectable TV pulpits? Maybe they're respectable, maybe they're not, huh? But how are we supposed to handle this idea of false prophets? Today, as we look at that, I want us to do a, uh, a deep dive on this topic of the, those who would dare to proclaim a word and say it's from God, and those who are uh, intentionally deceitful in that they are not proclaiming God's word, those who are unintentionally deceitful, meaning they don't realize that they're proclaiming something that is not God's word, even though they're saying that it's God's word. And I want to help us to uh, diagnose a false prophet. It's hard for us as we consider this issue because we have so many examples of those that we look at and we say, well, that's a false gospel. They're a false teacher. It's a maybe a bad message or it's an unhelpful message. We have a lot of labels that we throw out, but we need to be very careful when we throw out the label of a false prophet. And as we walk through this today, hopefully we can think through this in a more nuanced form and see the difference between someone who is purposefully deceiving the people of God and the one who's just a bad preacher. And oftentimes we conflate these and it's unhelpful for us uh, as we talk about this issue of false prophet, this is a particularly relevant topic because recently um, there has been one who would, who some would indict as a false prophet, who has come out with a book, and those who are in the Baptist world have uh, given what is essentially a tacit endorsement of the book. Um, based on what I know about this preacher, I certainly wouldn't endorse it. Based on what I know about some of those preachers who have endorsed it, I would endorse them. So in thinking about that this week, it brings to my mind a passage in Matthew 7 and some other passages that I want us to look at and consider when we're talking about a prophet. Now, let's begin with that term prophet. As I'm using that word today, what I mean is someone who would stand in front of a group of people and say, thus saith the Lord. So essentially, I'm using that term in a very general and generic way for someone who preaches. Now, that's not always how that word, or actually very seldom is that word used as just a general descriptor for a preacher. We see in Ephesians 4 that there is that distinction between a pastor, teacher, and evangelist, and the one who's called a prophet. We also certainly see in the Old Testament the picture of a prophet. It's one of my favorite Pictures of a preacher is the word navi that is used for a prophet in the Old Testament, and it means someone who is fueled and they're bubbling or boiling over. I love that picture, and it certainly conveys the sense that Jeremiah was communicating that the, the word of God was like a fire shut up in his bones, uh, and he couldn't hold it in. So as the prophet, he was bubbling or boiling over. But we're not necessarily only thinking about one who would be labeled uh, a biblical prophet like Jeremiah, one who would be labeled a prophet as in Ephesians 4. I want us to think of it in a general sense of one who would stand up 
and preach God's word or say that they were preaching God's word. So that's what we're talking about today on The Watchman's Soul. As always, thank you for listening, uh, and we appreciate how you are sharing the podcast. We appreciate any time you comment, especially if it's a good comment, right? And as always, my MC Michael Cole, is on the mic. Say hey, Mike. How's it going? (laughs) (laughs) He is a man of many words, but he is a man who's great with the microphone and uh, helping us walk through this. So let's get right to it. Let's go to Matthew 7. And in Matthew 7, that's where we begin with Jesus giving us the diagnosis of a false prophet. He tells us, to watch out for false prophets. We have a warning, and then he tells us why we should watch out for false prophets. We have a warning followed by an explanation. The warning is to watch out. The why is that they come in in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. Now, as we think about this and and try to diagnose who these false prophets are, we certainly place it in the context of the day and recognize that it could be any manner of people. It could have been a Pharisee that Jesus was talking about. It could have simply been those who were not necessarily Pharisees, but they were Jewish opponents of Jesus. Or maybe, as Matthew is inspired by the Holy Spirit and he's communicating this message of Jesus, maybe maybe he was referring to legalistic Christians or he was making application to these legalistic Christians uh, who were tending to populate the church that we see in other New Testament epistles. We can understand it on both levels, those who were in the audience of Jesus as he proclaimed this message and those who would have been in the audience uh, as readers of Matthew's gospel. But what we recognize is that they are in the faith community, but they are not of the faith. So we see that in these false prophets. They are in the faith community, but they are not of the faith And their intention is to present themselves as part of the faith community, part of the covenant community, but they are presenting themselves as such so that they can tear apart the community. We see these pictures in in other areas in Scripture, uh, most notably in the book of Jeremiah, whom we just mentioned previously. Jeremiah talks about the pseudo-prophetes. He's talking about those um, who are very popular, People gather around them to listen to their message. But in Jeremiah 6, he indicts them as proclaiming peace when there is no peace. Now, that's a statement that we want to get get back to uh, here in a little bit. In Jeremiah 23, verses 9 through 13, another passage that we're going to get back to because I think it's important uh, to develop it a little bit further. But as a foundational element, Jeremiah identifies through the, or the Spirit of God through Jeremiah identifies these false prophets as false because they're living in an unethical and an ungodly way. No matter what their message is, their lives are not reflecting godliness, and their lives are not reflecting a sensitivity to God's Word. So immediately within this, we have to recognize, and and this is where I think we need to begin the nuanced conversation, is to to diagnose a false prophet and false prophecies by the person or the man and the message. The man and the message. I think too often we collapse these, and we need help in identifying false prophets and just bad preaching. And to help us with that, there's the man and there's the message. So as we look at it in Matthew 7, Jesus helps us, and he says, by their fruit, 
That's how we recognize them. That's important. It's not only their charismatic gifts. Apparently, these guys were so skilled uh, in the rhetorical arts that people gathered around them to listen to them. But Jesus is saying it's not just about how skilled they are at, at oratory. You need to examine their fruit. Now, is he talking about their personal spiritual lives? Or is he talking about the spirituality of those who would listen to them? And the answer to that is yes. He's talking about their spiritual lives, and he's talking about the spiritual lives of those who are listening to them. There needs to be some deep spirituality among those who would dare to say, thus saith the Lord. And if they are saying, thus saith the Lord, and are declaring the word of God, well, we know that the word of God, as Jeremiah said, it's like a fire and it's like a hammer. It's going to burn away sin, and it's going to chisel away at our hearts, meaning the more God's word is proclaimed, the greater the effect on the people who are listening, if indeed they are listening. So as we consider what Jesus is saying, when we examine someone who would stand up and preach, we examine their spiritual life. We go to Paul's letter to Timothy, when he's laying out in 1 Timothy 3, the picture of the elder, the picture of the, the one who would lead God's people and lead God's people through the proclamation of the word, we would say the pastor to help us uh, understand that picture there in 1 Timothy 3. All of it, except for one little phrase, has to do with character. He is saying, if you want to find or if you want to identify the one that you should follow in the local church, it should be the man who is godly. Not only is he godly, but he has a godly family. And he's, there's that phrase, able to teach. There's one phrase in there that deals with competency. The rest of it deals with character. Far too often we move over the character or we make assumptions about the character and we say, well, obviously he prays or obviously he reads his Bible. Obviously he shares the gospel. Now let's jump past that and let's jump to the competencies. But we need to spend more time discussing the ministers and discussing those who would lead us as, as the people of God. We need to spend more time on their character. Who are they as people of faith? Who are they? Don't just examine how skilled they are at standing in front of people and talking. Lost people are really good at standing in front of people and talking. That's not to be how we examine, primarily how we examine those who would preach. We are to examine their fruit. We are to examine their spiritual lives. And then we are to look at those who are following them, who are listening to them. I don't just mean those who are sitting in their congregation, because I don't think any preacher who's ever lived, including Jesus, needs to be examined by every one of their followers' fruits. I would simply point you to Judas. But I would say, on the whole, take those who would listen to this person and apply this person's teachings. Are they going to bear spiritual fruit that reflects godliness? Of course we would say that the followers of Jesus would. And of course that we would say those who are proclaiming God's word day in, day out, or week in, week out, if they are proclaiming God's word, those people who are listening, be they many people, be they few people who are listening, if they put into practice what is proclaimed, will it lead them to godliness? I'm not saying will it lead them to a happier life. I'm saying will it lead them to godliness. Fruits, spiritual fruit, 
Help us to separate wolves from true shepherds. And we as the people of God must be able to discern true and false teachings. We must be able to discern true and false teachers. A healthy tree, as Jesus says, will produce healthy and worthy fruit. But an unhealthy tree will produce worthless fruit. We need to be like the Berean Christians in Acts 17. As Paul is proclaiming the word of God to them, they've got their scriptures open or they've got the scrolls open and they're examining what Paul said to see if it was true. So when we're talking about this issue of false prophets, when we're talking about false teachers, we're talking about the man, we're talking about the message, or in some cases we are talking about the woman, We're talking about the message. That's a whole other topic for a different day as to the nature of women preachers, and we'll get to that, no doubt about it. But for our purposes here, we just want to talk about false preachers in general. So we've already mentioned that 1 Timothy 3 would call us to examine their character more than their competency. Obviously, no one wants to sit and listen to a bad, dull, boring, and dry preacher. Obviously, we don't want that. But I think that we need to flip the script and we need to be more willing to sit under a boring, dry, dull, biblical preacher than an exciting, than a charismatic, non-biblical preacher. Now, when I say non-biblical, I don't even mean heretical. I just mean someone who's not preaching God's word. And this is an important issue for us because as we look at what's going on in the church, not only today, but what was going on in the church 2,000 years ago, right, as the church was in its infancy, what we find is, is Paul builds on this aspect of Jesus talking to the false teachers. And Paul makes specific application of false teachings. I'll say false teachings. And he also then examines and diagnoses those who are teaching properly, but they're teaching with wrong motives. And this helps us in this nuanced conversation. So we begin by saying a false teacher as indicated or a false prophet as indicated by Jesus. They are someone that their fruit is bad, their spiritual lives are bad, and those who would follow their teachings will not have good spiritual fruit. So it's a message that is not in accord with what God would have us believe and live. And it's a person who doesn't live in accord with how God would have them live. So the man and the message is askew. The man and the message, it's it's off. They are both off in the context of Matthew 7 where Jesus is talking about a false prophet. They're both off. But we have some interesting layers here. In Galatians 1, for example, Paul talks about being astonished that the church at Galatia, that they're deserting the one who called them by grace. They're turning to a different gospel, a different gospel. Now, Paul has already identified for us what the gospel is in 1 Corinthians. The gospel, as he says in 1 Corinthians 15, essentially is Jesus. We call Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John gospels. What are the gospels about? They're about Jesus. So rather than right now talking about the gospel as some theological propositions or some theological principles, it's important for us to recognize that the gospel is Jesus. 
The good news is Jesus. Not facts about Jesus, but Jesus. He is the good news. And Paul indicates this, that they're deserting the one who called you by grace, turning to a different gospel, which is really no gospel at all. And he says, evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion and are trying to pervert the gospel of Christ or the gospel that presents, the gospel that is Christ. And then he says, even if we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one we preach to you, let him be eternally condemned. Those are very strong words. Now, the picture here, we could ask, are they proclaiming a different gospel intentionally or unintentionally? The reality is there, there are a lot of people who are proclaiming, quote unquote, the word of God. They, they are standing up on a regular basis and presuming that they are teaching from God. And they're not necessarily intentionally deceiving people. They are unintentionally, or we might say ignorantly, misleading people. Now, the danger is, is equal on the part of the listener. They're still being led astray, whether they are being intentionally or unintentionally led astray. They're still being led astray, and that's not all right. But there are some who are false prophets, and they know that their message is not in accord with God's word, but they're intentionally peddling something that is not in accord with God's word. And they're doing that, obviously, for their own purposes. Therein, we would go back to Jeremiah. Jeremiah's indictment on the prophets in Jeremiah 6, verses 13 and 14, seems to indicate that these guys are saying this is the word of God, and they know, they know that they haven't received the word of God. They haven't received the word of God. And so they're purposefully declaring a message, saying it's from God, and they know that it is not from God. Those are the pseudo-prophetes. Those are the false prophets. Then there are those in our culture today. They've gathered a following, and they believe that they are representing God, and they are representing God's word, and they're too ignorant to recognize and understand that the message they are proclaiming is not a message from God. It's not a message from God. Now, it's at this point that everyone wants me to give names, and I'm not going to do that. That is not me. I don't think that's helpful. I think it's much more helpful for us to examine processes, for us to uh, have a standard of principles that we can then apply consistently across the board rather than cherry-picking preachers and cherry-picking problems with those preachers. So I want us to have a framework. The first one is those false prophets who are intentionally declaring a false gospel, meaning a false message of Christ, and they are intentionally proclaiming a, a false, they're not representing God's word. Then there are those who are false prophets and it's more about their message than it is them as a people, meaning they are trying to live a godly life and they are trying to deliver a godly message, but they are not delivering a godly message. And it simply could be ignorance of the scriptures. It simply could be um, an ignorance of application, 
Haddon Robinson famously said, and it's a great quote, he said, more heresy is preached in application than when you, when you think about proper exegesis, when you think about uh, proper explanation of the scriptures. He said, more heresy is preached in application, and I completely agree with it, that you can do sound exegesis on a biblical passage. You can bring out the meaning of the text, and then you can make a very unhealthy application that is more driven from the preacher's experience than it is the theological principle of the text. And so there are some who are delivering messages and providing application um, that is unhelpful. It is not in keeping with God's Word. That's why it's so important for us to be reminded of what James said. Anyone who stands up and would dare proclaim God's Word, we need to be very careful because we will be judged on a higher level. So that means I need to work harder. I need to pray harder. I need to study harder. I need to know God's word. And I need to preach it well. And I need to apply it well. And I need to be very careful that I don't hop on my soapboxes or hobby horses. I need to be very careful that I'm not preaching um, someone else's garbage, be it political be it just simply the practical everyday life. We have to be careful. And then, so we've got the false prophets. They are intentionally preaching false messages. So they are wolves in sheep's clothing, and they are intentionally attempting to destroy the church from the inside. Then we've got those who are unintentionally false prophets. Again, it's still horrible for the listener. It's not helpful for the listener. But there is a difference in the one who believes, genuinely believes that he is doing a service to God and to God's people, but he is not. There is a a difference in those. And then the third level is the one that I believe we're most plagued with in our churches. And that is... The one I want to connect Philippians 1 with what Paul says here a little bit to what he also says to Timothy in, in 2 Timothy. So in Philippians 1, Paul is talking to the, the church, or he writes to the church at Philippi, and he makes a profound statement. In Philippians 1, he talks about, you know, he's in chains and he's in chains for the sake of the gospel. and then he, he gets into verse 15 and he says that some preach Christ out of envy and, envy and rivalry, which is a fascinating statement to me. Even 2,000 years ago, there were those who said that if I become a preacher, I can have a, a better reputation. Uh, maybe I can make some money off of this and uh, maybe I will draw a crowd. It's very hard for us as naturally prideful people to recognize there is a way that we can draw a crowd and to not attempt to draw a crowd. We see this in the social media age. People are famous just because they're famous. They can draw a crowd, so they do. And the danger of this in the ministry is um, that there are those who would preach a solid message but do do it with very ungodly and unspiritual motives. So here's Paul saying there are those who are preaching out of envy and rivalry, meaning they want to win. What are they wanting to win? 
They're wanting to win the competition that seems to be about drawing listeners, right? So they're preaching a message. And the message in and of itself is not a bad message. It's not a false message. But it's a message that the person is improperly motivated to preach. And so, again, it helps us to distinguish between the man and the message. Because we see the false prophet, the man and the message are bad. We see uh, the, uninten- or the intentionally false prophet, the man and the message are bad. The unintentionally false prophet, maybe the man is all right, but the message is bad. But then we have that which too often we would label simply a true prophet because the message is good. And Paul would draw a, a line. I don't think Paul would call this guy a true prophet. I think Paul would say that he's preaching truth. But inwardly, there is something false about him, meaning he is not preaching driven by the Spirit of God. And we're going to go back to Jeremiah in just a minute to make this case. But he says, others out of goodwill. Some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, others out of goodwill. The latter do so in love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing that they can stir up trouble for me while I'm in chains. But what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. And because of this, I rejoice. Now, Paul is able to say, I want the message of Christ to continue. And even if there are people who have bad motives, as long as they're preaching a good Christ, I'm okay with it. Now, we need to bring that into this conversation because there are those who want to shut down every message because they don't necessarily agree maybe with the messenger or however that works. I can't get into people's minds or their motives. But there's a part here that we have to and we must agree with Paul and say we want more Jesus preached, not less. And we recognize that people are going to do it from selfish motives and with selfish ambitions. We know this. There are some people who can preach good, who can preach well, and they have drawn a crowd. And the reality of the situation is they simply want to draw a crowd. However, they are also preaching truth and for that, we praise God. Now, there will come a day when they will stand before God and they will have a reckoning over their motives. But as it is today, we appreciate more gospel preaching. We want gospel preaching. Jesus, truth, biblical preaching. And we would invite everyone who would stand in front of people and preach to have pure motives, to preach out of goodwill, to preach out of love, love for God and love for people, and to not worry about building our own kingdoms, but to build the kingdom of God, to do it with humility. So Paul would say, hey, as long as Christ is preached, so in the message, as long as the message is pure and solid, he says, let the message keep going. And even if it's going forth through guys who are selfish and prideful and motivated for their own kingdoms as long as they continue to preach Christ. If they stop preaching Christ, then we've truly got a situation where we're looking at the man and the message is bad, and we've got a false prophet on our hands, right? But then there's what Paul says to Timothy, and this is where we'll wrap things up, connected back to Jeremiah in our close. 
Paul tells Timothy in 2 Timothy 4, he says, preach the word. Preach the word. And then he goes on in verse 3, and he says, The time will come when men will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. So Paul helps us also to understand where we are culturally. There is a reason that, that so many false prophets, that so many bad preachers, and by bad preachers, I don't mean they don't have oratorical skills. I mean they're not preaching God's Word. There is a reason that we have so many of them today. And the reason is because we don't, as a culture, and by culture I mean the church, we do not hold ourselves and our ministers to the standard of preaching God's Word. We are driven by having a message that makes us feel good or entertains us. And so we are feeding the beast here. We are only going to get more false prophets. That's why we have so many now, is because years and decades ago, people turned away from God's word. Even though someone might have said they were proclaiming God's word, they were proclaiming man's wisdom under the guise of God's word. And we're in a dangerous day and age now where we have churches that don't even lead with saying that they preach the Bible. They emphasize the arts and cultural. They will cater to movies of culture. They will cater to all kinds of things of culture. And they will use these as hooks to get our people to come in the door. And isn't that so telling that we actually can't even tell people now, come to our church because we're going to preach the Bible. We have to say, come to our church. We're going to talk about things in culture. And then we're going to put a spiritual spin on it. We are living what Paul says to Timothy in 2 Timothy 4. We have come to the time when people are, are wanting messages that cater to their particular oral preferences, meaning they are, they are looking for a message that is pleasing to their ears. That can be that it is pleasing to their ears in the sense that it doesn't challenge them, it doesn't call them to transformation, or that it has entertainment value. And this is a dangerous place. And so here's a word for the preachers. Here's a word for any preacher who would stand and say, Thus saith the Lord. Jeremiah's indictment in, in chapter 23. He says in verse 16, Do not listen to what the prophets are prophesying to you. They fill you with false hopes. They speak visions from their own minds, not from the mouth of the Lord. If a preacher would dare to stand up and not build his sermon on the Bible, then he is fulfilling what Jeremiah indicted the false prophets of thousands of years ago, that their message is coming from their own minds rather than the mouth of the Lord. We have 66 books that God has given to us. God has spoken, and that's why we preach. We don't preach because we're smart. We don't preach because people come. We preach because God has spoken. And in verse 16, we're reminded that the false prophet is the one who preaches what's in his own head, not what's in God's word, which means what comes from God's mind. And Jeremiah continues 
In verse 18, he says, But which of them has stood in the counsel of the Lord to see or hear his word? Who has listened and heard his word? Verse 21, I did not send these prophets, yet they have run with their message. I did not speak to them, yet they have prophesied. But if they had stood in my counsel, they would have proclaimed my words to my people and would have turned from them and would have turned them from their evil ways and from their evil deeds. There's a powerful picture in Jeremiah 23, and it's a powerful word for anyone who would preach and anyone who would listen to preaching. What we desperately need is someone to stand in front of us and proclaim God's word. And this person needs to be someone who has spent time with God. If they are building their sermons on something that is not God's word, if it's on their wisdom, we don't need to sit under that preaching very long because it is dangerous. It is dangerous. It will not produce the spiritual fruit that needs to be produced in our lives. Now, the dangerous part for me here is to say that they're false prophets because I do believe that that it's a nuanced conversation. What I will say is based on Jeremiah 23, he would say if we would stand up and we're not delivering a message built on God's word, based on God's word, and if we're not doing it from a life that overflows from time with God, Oh, we're in danger of being false prophets. That's a message for preachers, for those who are in the congregation. May we be the kind of people who expect the person who would stand up and get our attention for however long it is, if it's 20 minutes, if it's an hour and 20 minutes. May we hold them to a high standard, and that standard being that they tell us what God's Word says and then tell us what God's Word looks like if it's lived out in our lives. And may we expect those people, may we expect those men to be men who live a life that reflects that they have spent time in the presence of God, that the fruit of their personal life reflects godliness, and that the fruit of the personal lives of those who would listen and apply their messages reflects godliness. This is a complicated topic. Hopefully, we have helped work through the nuances of false prophets and bad preachers. But we want to end with this thought. Even a bad preacher who preaches the Bible is a lot better than one who we would call a good preacher, and I will say at this point a good orator who doesn't preach God's Word. We want the one who would preach God's Word. And then let's turn that on its head. I would say, that the good preacher is the one who preaches God's word. The bad preacher is the one who preaches his own wisdom. Thank you so much for listening to The Watchman's Soul. Hopefully this is helpful to all of us, particularly to us in the church culture, those who would stand and proclaim God's word or say that they are proclaiming God's word. Let us hold the standard high. Let us be the kind of people who honor God with our lives, who honor God with our lips. As always, thank you for listening and also share it. Uh, Give us comments. Give us feedback. We appreciate uh, those who are listening and those who are recommending us to other places. For my MC, Michael Cole, we're going to call it a day and tune in next time on The Watchman's Soul.